ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil World Order Podcast, Sunday night edition. I apologize, uh, there were some technical issues yesterday. Um, there was some kind of issue between my router, the modem, and me being really tired at about 11 p.m. after a really long day. So I didn't have the patience, I guess, or wherewithal to fix all the issues that took about uh, two minutes this morning when I had had a good night's sleep, you know, because we got that extra hour now, so it's going to get dark at noon. But, um, yeah, so here we are Sunday night, uh, big TV night, uh, if you're a TV nerd like me, uh, the return of Dexter with Dexter New Blood on Showtime. Uh, I had to subscribe to Showtime, like the Showtime app. Every, it seems like TV's all like a la carte now, so you just have 25 different streaming platforms anymore. I think DirecTV is even a, even a streaming platform anymore, and you don't get boxes or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so we signed up for that this afternoon, and Kai and I actually watched uh, Dexter New Blood. I, I liked it. I thought the episode was good. I thought it was a neat... Um, 180 to an extent you went from the warmth of Miami to the cold of I believe it's upstate New York is where he is now in a small town um, And just if you're a huge fan of the show you notice the difference from How the episode starts to how it ends and goes back once he becomes like, you know, the Dexter we all know um, But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to see where this goes and hopefully there's more than one season, but you know, you never know. Uh, then the other big uh, show back tonight with the two-hour premiere was Yellowstone, which I think Yellowstone is the best show on television. Um, if you're not watching Yellowstone, do yourself a favor and watch Yellowstone. It's been great from the very first episode. I believe this is now the third or fourth season. Uh, I think it's the fourth season. I, I, I can't recall. But uh, two-hour premiere tonight on the Paramount. Or, you know, on Paramount, which used to be Spike TV or whatever. If you have basic cable, you have it. Um, if that's even a thing anymore. But, excellent episode. Kevin Costner is amazing. Um, just the ensemble cast is amazing. It, it, you know, I always describe it to people as it's like the Sopranos with Cowboys. You know, it's kind of like this whole... Um, it's so hard to explain and do it justice, but it's it, it's a phenomenal show. My, my wife was, I don't think she's ever really watched many full episodes. She was just kind of on the couch as I was watching it tonight, and she was like, the show's really violent. And I was like, yeah, that's part of the beauty of it. But, um, yeah, that was a, a great, great episode uh, to Yellowstone tonight. Some things, you know, it's one of the few shows where I feel like when you want that payoff for something, you're like, oh, the, you know, you really hate a character, and you're like, that mother needs to get it. They get theirs. You know, so I, I think uh, the creators of that and the writers of that show have really tapped into knowing that that's what the audience wants. Um, you know, and anyone who watches it is a huge fan of Rip. I mean, Rip pretty much, Rip and Beth make the show go. Kevin Costner is phenomenal. And, it, you know, the backdrop of being in Montana and all that is beautiful. So, um, there's that, and then they did the thing tonight where they showed kind of how the season, you know, I don't know, like sneak preview of the season, season uh, and it looks, it looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited for that every Sunday night. Uh, Tennessee won this weekend, they beat a ranked opponent, and they beat Kentucky, uh, 
the Packers lost, but I mean, they really didn't. Kansas City was really bad. I mean, Jordan Love, the backup quarterback, he's terrible. This guy is not the future of the franchise. Um, I know the, you know, even for as little as the playbook they used with this guy for the two years he's been there, if he can't run more of the offense than that, and then Kansas City defense was terrible, giving him the whole field, daring him to throw the ball. He couldn't get the ball near receivers. Um, you know, the touchdown he did throw, I mean, Alan Lazard made the play on that. He didn't. Our defense was phenomenal, though. And that's pretty good considering uh, we're without two of our best defensive players. So I'll, t- I'll take that. I mean, 7-2 and two isn't where I thought we'd be worse than that this season. So I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, I guess I'm kind of happy with how the season's going. But I hopefully, and for those of you who don't know, Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing because he uh, had a positive COVID test. And then all the stink came out about... Aaron Rodgers not being, I guess, vaccinated in the uh, way, you know, he hadn't received, he had said he was immunized, which he had received some homeopathic thing or whatever, Uh, you know, he had further said he consulted with his physicians and the risk with the uh, vaccine was didn't seem worth it to him, which, you know, shows that Aaron Rodgers is capable of critical thinking and is a smart guy, unlike most of the population out there who now think it's cool to inject their children with this stuff. Um, you know, there's talk that the Packers could be fined, uh, he could be suspended, because I guess they look at it as he lied, even though really I'm one of those people omission isn't lying. But um, who would have thought Aaron Rodgers would be the... Uh, face for like the unvaccinated and the people who can think for themselves, you know, instead of just like, there's really people out there. Like I read the comments and some of these groups and news stories, like we're still living, there are people out there that believe if they get the vaccine, they can't get COVID or they believe they get, um, even if they pass on COVID, they pass on a less dangerous strain to people. Like, you can't make this up, people. There's people out there that are that dumb. You know, and it's... I think, you know, everyone brains have been so washed over the last two years that it's... Humanity's at a level that you can't... You know, anytime I'm in public, I just... Oh, I'm repulsed. You know, I'm, I'm frustrated. It agitates the shit out of me. Because I'm like just seeing the stupidity that's out there. But, um, yeah, I digress on any of that. So, yeah, get out there, check out Dexter, check out uh, Yellowstone if you haven't already. Dexter's probably a little bit harder to watch if you don't have Showtime. Um, Anyways, switching into the scripted part of the program that everything I just told you was just stuff I was thinking, but... um, preface this with I've become so numb I can't feel you there become so tired so much more aware lyrics from Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park um you know honestly Lincoln Park uh probably one of the most amazing bands in a long time uh from the music the songwriting uh the voice of Chester Bennington uh, I think he had that thing like Trent Reznor has, and I'm not comparing, I, I'm just saying there's a, a quality and sincerity in um, 
the pain and the lyrics you hear where you knew it was real. Uh, and even though it may have come from a dark place, it still touched you. Um, and I'll be honest, uh, when these guys were in their heyday, I, I can't say I was much of a fan. Uh, I was a little late to the party on uh, Lincoln Park. Um, it just... <sighs> You know, it just, it just wasn't my thing. Uh, and I would say I like I like metal. I like hip-hop. I, li I like everything. It just, I don't know. I guess at the time it was like the new stuff. And, you know, I've never been one to listen to what's on the radio. So I was always just listening to what I like. But um, I think one day, you know, music sometimes just finds you. And I was listening. One day I remember, I, you know, I was listening to Numb. And uh, I was probably driving. Uh maybe having a low day and I think sometimes you listen to a song and you really hear the lyrics and you connect with it you know and it's just like you know and and they were like one of those bands where I knew all their song titles and such and they they, they were huge they have an enormous following or had have so you know I started to listen more and more uh Kai's a big fan uh, honestly, I, I, I kind of fell in love with the music. Um, I think the pain and the lyrics, the realness, and, and I, like I said, the sincerity of everything I was hearing. It wasn't like just overproduced crap. You know, when music is real, people feel it. Um, you know, they burst on the scene in 2000 with the release of their uh, first album, Hybrid Theory, which kind of ultimately described their music, if you think about it. It was kind of a blend of rock, metal, rap, and it all kind of met at this one intersection. Um, you know, interesting thing is I learned more on the, uh, I guess, the statistical parts of the band. was Their first album sold over 27 million copies, which is a stat or a record that makes it the highest-selling debut album still today in the 21st century. Um, you know, the album had the hits Crawling, uh, In the End, which may be the song that most people associate with the band. Uh, both those songs were number one on Billboard's alternative chart. Um, and I think sometimes when you listen to uh, In the End, you know, it's kind of timeless lyrically. You know, and you go back and watch the video now, and it almost plays out like the world we live in. Um, you know, and I... And I think, like, the words in that song are all something we can relate to at some point in our lives. Um, I think it was a showcase of all the demons Chester Bennington was battling as far as depression and substance abuse. Uh, sometimes, you know, the darker and harder someone's life is, the better the music. Um, I mean, look at Taylor Swift, no real struggles, no great music. Uh, but, you know, the internal struggles were... His struggles were always so prevalent, I believe, in the music. And maybe that's what endeared them to me, was just the authenticity and what I was hearing. Uh, they would follow up Hybrid Theory with uh, Meteora, which was released in 2003. He sold 16 million copies. Um, so that's almost 15 million, 50 million albums in their first two uh, releases, which is crazy, because now nobody, I mean, nobody buys, you know, physical music everything is a download or whatever um meteora had breaking the habit somewhere i belong uh and obviously this turn of the century angry youth anthem numb um you know numb would also get the added shelf life with the numb encore remix mashup with jay-z who was kind of like you know the guy at the time 
personally, I I never understood the like. Big Pimpin' was kind of a funny song. Um, Empire State of Mind and his numb encore song were like the only things by Jay-Z I really ever liked. Um, I never understood why people put him on like this rap Mount Rushmore. And I was like, dude, there's like hundreds of guys better than Jay-Z. I mean, he married Beyonce and was owner of like the Nets and runs Rockefeller Records or something. Or, I don't know. That, like, whatever. Numb was the uh, song title I chose for this episode, you know, because personally I think it's an amazing song. Um, you know, and most of it, like with any song, sometimes it's how you relate to the words. You know, I hear the words of a kid who struggled trying to fit in, someone who faked it forever, living on, under expectations, a time folding because of them. Uh, you know, and then the man who doesn't know who he is, but he knows what he doesn't want to be. Like, Like, that really spoke to me. I got that. And I could be totally wrong in my dissection of the song, but that's that's what it spoke to me. Um, four years later, the band would release Minutes to Midnight, uh, which sold 20 million copies. So, I mean, these guys sold a shit ton of albums. Um, you know, it kind of took the music to different depths uh, with the songs uh, What I've Done, Bleed It Out, Shadow of the Day. And Leave Out All the Rest, which is a great song. Uh, I feel like that one didn't get enough love at the time of its release. Um, they honestly continued releasing albums through 2017 with their last release, One More Light, which that title track, One More Light, is an amazing song. Um, you know, I think if you've ever lost somebody or really missed someone, that's a song that really will speak to you. Uh, Chester Bennington actually performed it at the memorial for his good friend and Chris Cornell and Chris Cornell is one of those musicians where his loss really hit me hard um I love the Chris Cornell's voice I loved his music I loved everything about Chris Cornell um and honestly he'll probably get his own episode down the road you know and then unfortunately with Lincoln Park uh Chester Bennington was found dead July 20th, 2017, in his home in uh, Palos Verdes Estate in California. Uh, his death was ruled suicide by hanging. Bennington was 41 at the time, so similar age to me, which I didn't know to any of this. I honestly thought he was younger. Um, his family and friends had all believed he was in a good place in his life. Uh, his death actually came almost two months to the date that Cornell had killed himself in a similar fashion in a hotel room in Detroit after a show. Um, a lot of those close to Bennington, family, friends, including his mother, his father, who was a former uh, cop, sister, and a lot of colleagues in the music industry, honestly don't believe Bennington killed himself. So that's kind of where the story um of Chester Bennington takes kind of like a weird turn, you know. Um, his mother, Susan, Susan Eubanks, is quoted as saying, I don't believe Chester killed himself, and if he did, I believe someone coerced him to do so or worse. Um, you know, and I don't just want to throw, I know we like to talk, you know, everything's a conspiracy theory nowadays and stuff like that, but just some uh, facts and, you know, notes from the whole... Uh, events of that day, or the aftermath, I guess, investigation or lack thereof. The initial officer on the scene uh, was Officer Aaron Belda with the 
Palo Verde's estate uh, PD. He ruled the death a suicide within 11 minutes of arriving at the scene. Um, there was no note present. Chester had left no note. Uh, 90% of suicides are accompanied by a, some sort of letter, note, whatever, message. Um, there was no in-depth investigation done. Uh, homicide detectives were never called in or consulted on the case or the ruling of death. Uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department's own protocol states that every death is to be investigated as a homicide until proven otherwise. And like that, that verbiage right there, I have friends that, uh, you know, either work in law enforcement or previously have worked in law enforcement. And I asked them just, you know, it's like, Hey, this scenario, you know, I'm like saying, I don't need you. And they said, no, you treat everything like a homicide until you can prove it's not like they almost said verbatim what the protocol was of the sheriff's department, which never was applied to this case. Uh, further, uh, the Palos Verdes Estates Police Department actually doesn't handle any homicide investigation whatsoever. They are always passed on to the LA County Sheriff's Department, except for whatever reason in this case, they did not. Uh, I found, uh, you know, in doing some research, uh, a woman by the name of Cece Woods. She's the editor-in-chief of the for the Local Voices of Malibu. She wrote an article about the alleged mishandling and cover-up of Bennington's death and cited uh, an unnamed higher-up source with the um, L.A. County Sheriff's Department that said, said the Palo Verdes Estate PD doesn't handle homicides and had no business making a determination of death. Our homicide inspectors, our homicide investigators, should have been called to the scene, as that's what has always happened in any other instance. In the moments uh, arriving after on the scene, the Palo Verde Estates Police Department—that's really a mouthful if you think about it—never did more than a visual search of the residence. You know, it was what they saw as they went from the door to where the the maid or the assistant had showed them where Bennington's body was. Um, so, you know, what they saw initially on their walkthrough was, was what they saw on the scene was never ordered to be secured or reported as being secured. So, um, I have the article here that CC Woods had written, and I was just going to go read through some of this. And some of this is like strange. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't pretend to be a, a, law enforcement or understand all the rules of investigation or whatever. But um, what she wrote is the law enforcement response or lack thereof, specifically through on-scene investigation at Bennington's estate on July 20th, 2017, is the most serious cause for concern in Bennington's death. The rushed initial assessment of suicide by the lead officer to the scene and according to the incident report, without the presence of a suicide note, which we discussed, caused the wheels of justice for the Bennington family to immediately come to a grinding halt. Officer Aaron Belda was the first on the scene, made a definitive and seemingly deliberate decision to label the death as a suicide based on visual circumstances and inside of 11 minutes. 
In turn, the decision to call the fire department and the chaplain without even conferring with homicide detectives immediately excluded the possibility of investigating potential foul play at the scene of Bennington's death. Given the high profile of the nature of the case, numerous highly suspicious events that occurred from the time Bennington arrived at his home, 10.30 p.m. the night before, uh, it stated from a higher up with the L.A. Sheriff's County Deputy's Office that Officer Belda should have immediately requested assistance from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Uh, he's, the guy's quoted and said they've had a mutual aid relationship for over 40 years. And when this unnamed source inquired as why, who makes the determination on whether there was a homicide, the answer was the lead officer on scene. Uh, although all sources have said previously, like I said, they, they don't, the PVE, PD, they don't do homicide investigations. So they kind of just, I don't know, you know, and then there's... I'm kind of skimming through this because I don't want to bore you with stuff that doesn't matter. It says alarming details revealed the house to the house by the housekeeper to immediate family never made it to the actual incident reports, which was a cause of great concern as the events surely would have triggered a homicide investigation, even as a precautionary measure until murder was definitely ruled out by homicide detectives and medical examiner. According to family members, Bennington had worked turned the night before from Arizona where he and his family were vacationing. The family maid who was present when he arrived home at approximately 10.30 told Belda, the lead officer, that she didn't notice anything unusual about his behavior. However, according to Bennington's mother, who arrived later that day on the 20th, the housekeeper absolutely did witness unusual behavior from Bennington and told her that she saw Chester crawling through the dog door with a 7-Eleven bag. It is unknown why that information did not make make it into the incident report. It is also unknown why there is one narrative portrayed by the housekeeper in the incident reports and a completely different narrative given to Chester's mother, sister, and father. Uh, and here's one of her statements is on July 20th, 2017, while on scene, I conducted an interview with that her name is blocked out, and she related to me the following information. She had known and was employed by the descendant for approximately two years, routinely came to the residence daily, and let herself in with a key. On July 19th, the descendant arrived home around uh, 10.30 while she was in the bathroom. She did not see him enter the house and saw him when he was already upstairs after he'd put his bags away. There was nothing out of the ordinary reported about his behavior. She left the residence approximately five minutes later. He told her he would be leaving for work early the next morning around 4.30 a.m. On 7.20, around 8.30, uh, she arrived at the residence and let herself in with her keys. She did not hear anything and assumed he'd already left. Around 8.45, an Uber vehicle pulled into the driveway and she went upstairs to check if he was there. He did not answer knocks on the door. She let herself into the unlocked bedroom, discovered him unresponsive, and dialed 911. She did not move him or any items in the room. Um, according to uh, TMZ, the, not, the TMZ identified a person described as an Uber driver as the caller of 911, uh, which is weird. Um, 
the one of the things the incident report doesn't talk about is if Bennington was going to leave at 4:30 a.m., why did the Uber not get there till 8 uh, 8:45? You know, or 8 whatever. You know, who changed the uh, time? That was never looked into as to who changed the pickup time. Uh, was it someone in the band? Was it management? And why that information was never uh, looked into by, by law enforcement. Also, when Bennington's mother and sister arrived at the residence later that day on the 20th, not long after the coroner had moved the body, they noticed the carpets were very wet and with, they had towels strategically placed throughout the home. The housekeeper revealed to them that the family dog had killed two pets, a chicken and a turtle sometime that morning, and and had drugged them throughout the house and all over the living room and leading upstairs to the bedroom where Bennington was found, which means she had said there was blood everywhere from this. But according to the incident report and a call, the 911 call was made at 8.50, there was not enough time to accomplish cleaning the carpets, which would indicate that the blood from the chicken was still present at the time law enforcement arrived. Um, this theory is also supported by statements made by Bennington's mother and sister, who inquired about the incident with the housekeeper after noticing the carpets were exceptionally wet when they arrived at approximately 2 p.m., indicating that the cleaning had to have taken place after Bennington's body was removed, which means the blood was present while law enforcement was there. This is yet another detail omitted from the original incident report and a flashing red neon sign that homicide detectives should have been requested to the scene, even as a precautionary measure to collect carpet samples to determine if the blood was animal or human, as well as any other evidence at the scene. You know, and you, did the housekeeper tell the lead officer on the scene about the incident with the pets this morning? Did the officer see the blood trail on the carpet throughout the house? If so, why wasn't homicide requested at the scene? Uh, you know, why was that information never included in any of the incident reports? Um, the Benningtons actually had purchased that home only a few months before Chester's death. Um, he'd had a history of stalker incidents requiring extensive security you know, especially once your band reaches, like, global popularity. Um, Chester's mother and sister inquired about security camera footage. There were cameras visible on the premise, and Chester's mother and sister were hoping to get info and clarity from the footage as the events that transpired up until Chester's death. The answer they received about the security cameras was that they weren't functioning, and they didn't have, they had, Chester hadn't had, the family hadn't had time to set them up. Um, you know, so then no question was asked about who was in charge of setting up the security cameras, um, you know, and consider the history of stalking incidents, why weren't the cameras set up and functioning before, you know, in the time they were there. Uh, according to family, as far as mental health and mindset, he was seemingly happy, well-adjusted at the time of his death, and had been making big changes in his life physically, emotionally, and financially. Um, according to numerous reports, he'd been off his antidepressants for approximately one year. However, he had confided in his sister a few weeks before his death that he was taking prescribed medication and doing well. Uh, Bennington was also taking his physical health seriously. He had a rigorous fit fitness routine, included weight training, cardio, among other activities. 
the results of this hard work and dedication to improve his life were having noticeably positive aspect on all aspects of his life. Um, you know, in understanding his addictive behavior through the eyes of his sister, mother, and father, who had witnessed many low points in his life due to trauma he suffered as a child, um, even if he had fallen off the wagon momentarily and suddenly suffered from a brief bout of depression, the circumstances surrounding his death do not fit the modus operandi of his previous suicide attempts. Uh, the common denominators in his documented attempts to take his life both involved either heavy amounts of alcohol or a gun, um, or both, neither of which was present the night of his death. Bennington's first suicide attempt was when he was approximately 13 years old. After being sexually abused by a family member, he had hit a very low point and was found by his sister moments before he was about to shoot himself in the head with a shotgun. From that point, Bennington used alcohol and drugs to self-medicate and mask the trauma from his childhood. His next attempt in 2006 um, was a year after the divorce from his first wife. He was reported to drink as drinking heavily and threatening to kill himself with a gun. Uh, at one point, he had hogtied himself and threw himself into a pool uh, in 2016. Uh, then had a change of heart in the midst of it and was able to break free of his restraints and climb to safety. Um, you know, there is more than enough information to suggest Bennington's death was not self-induced and at the very least required a proper investigation. Um, you know, and there's numerous articles out there suggesting that the Palo Verdes Estates Police has a very questionable reputation, that they see they have no oversight, and they have a rapid-fire approach to closing cases, uh, and, you know, they were in a hurry to close the book on Bennington's death, and they have not been cooperative with anyone, any other investigators that have tried to look into this. Um, you know, at, at best, it almost seems like this case was negligent, in my opinion, You know, and she ended by saying an unknown source in uh, law enforcement in the area said, knows, says, well, we all know the quickest way to kill a murder investigation is to call it a suicide. You know, and there's so many rumors about the days and weeks um, before Bennington's death as well, not to mention the theories on the how or why. There was the talk that... Uh, Chester, Chris Cornell, Vici, Anthony Bourdain were all part of the production of a documentary film focusing on lost and exploited children. This um, allegedly has been debunked, but, you know, only by the usual sources of mainstream media. Um, you know, and that's where it get gets tough. Uh, I mean, the people, some of the people associated with the project have said they weren't involved in it, but... Um, they denied their involvement. But, you know, here's my take on it. Okay, these four famous rich guys ended up dead. If I'm just some independent producer or filmmaker, what's going to stop someone from killing me? I mean, just my opinion. It's based on nothing but a little insight and common sense. Um, you know, uh, there were people that have, in his friends and colleagues of his that had said, uh, his behavior at times leading up to his death and after Cornell's came off as afraid and nervous 
uh, Ann Wilson of Heart um, actually had told Rolling Stone that she'd talk with Chester backstage at an event days before his death, and while he never said it, he came off as completely and really frightened and different. You know, could some of that have been mental health manifesting? Sure, but, it, it, you know, it could have also been something else. I think, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, with his past attempts at taking his own life and maybe a history of substance abuse and depression that maybe he did, this doesn't get the, you know, and anyone in the similar case wouldn't get the look they deserve because it's like, look, this person had tried it before. It's just easier to say, yeah, they wanted to kill themselves. They killed themselves. Um, you know, then there's the issue of the wet carpets and the dog supposedly killing other pets and the mess either being cleaned up before or during the time the police were in the home. I find that weird as well, you know, as well as the author did. There was no investigation into in, any of that or, you know, even just proving whatever, you know. Um, you know, and then there's the part of you that's, you have to ask yourself, are we just looking for some other reason for the death of Chester Bennington? You know, because we admired him and we placed him on a pedestal like we do all, you know, famous, larger than life people. Maybe we didn't, maybe because of that, we didn't understand his fragility and we want to tell ourselves that someone actually took him from us. Um, I mean, he wouldn't be the first celebrity, you know, for these celebrity deaths, for these stories to, to circle around. I mean, you have Kurt Cobain. There's a very interesting documentary on Amazon Prime about it. I, I forgot the name of it. Um, some of the details and actual recordings and reports, like in this Cobain document, they will literally leave you, leave you scratching your head because it was actual legitimate information. Now it's like, okay, this isn't just some guy telling you stuff. He has recordings of the phone calls. There are these documents. And it was just like, wow, how, you know, that was what, 1994? How have I never heard any of this? Um, I mean, think about Tupac and Biggie. I mean, there's people that still believe Tupac is alive. It maybe he is. I don't know, you know. But there's never been a legitimate lead in either murder investigation, even though they were committed in populated areas with plenty of witnesses around. Um you know, it seems like every time we lose someone who's like this larger-than-life character, I think we try to tell ourselves they were just that. You know, they're larger-than-life. From Michael Jackson, Elvis, even the idea that JFK Jr. had faked his death in a plane crash to avoid the deep state and cabal that secretly runs our country. Which I'm not saying a deep state and cabal doesn't secretly run our country, because I believe they do. And I just think it's not a secret anymore, and people just don't know what to do, so they just bury their heads in the sand. Um, you know, HBO even released a documentary uh, in the last month on the death of actress Brittany Murphy, who was in Clueless and uh, 8 Mile. I haven't watched it. I started it one day, but I'll admit, I was kind of doing other things, so I kind of got bored. Um, you know, and there's countless programs put together just like it, and as inter interesting as they can be sometimes. And while, you know, the often the families are involved in the production, there's times the family isn't, you know, and you have to wonder, is this respectful or in good taste? Or, you know, are families being taken advantage of to make these shows just because they're, you know, they don't have answers. You know, it, it's, I think in life, in an instance like that, it would be really frustrating um, to not know or to feel like maybe you missed something, you know. Uh, 
I mean, think of Robin Williams, you know, however many years ago. People are like, oh, he seemed fine and blah, blah, blah. You know, we think of Robin Williams as silly and funny and blah, 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 you know, and then kills himself. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, that was a lot of music and death talk, you guys. Uh, anyways, um, crazy to think it's November now, November 7th. Um, Thanksgiving just a few weeks away. Uh Apparently Christmas is coming before Thanksgiving because all I see on social media are people putting up their Christmas decorations and treat guys. Wait to Halloween. Like, or I'm sorry, wait to Thanksgiving. Sorry, I'm tired. It's been a long weekend. I'm drinking on school night. That's your proof. Um, you know, and it's crazy to think too. 2021 has been like the fastest year ever. Like. You know, a terrible year for our country, thanks to liberals and Democrats. Um, you know, uh, Black Friday deals are already starting. I don't know if any of you shop or, like, I think the old conventional Black Friday thing is dead because, you know, people are just, nobody's going to rush. Like, one, that was always stupid. You know, as someone who worked retail management for year, I, for years, I never understood Black Friday. It was the same thing every year. And the only really good deals were like if you wanted something Apple, a TV, or a video game system. Those were the, If you didn't need any of those things, there was no point to leave your house. You know, and to me, the convenience of not having to fight a crowd or get up early is worth paying a few bucks more. You know, I, maybe that's just white privilege. i kidding. I, I don't know. But seriously, when I worked for MC, which I'm going to do an MC Sports episode one day. It was literally the same deals every year. I mean, the brand of basketball, football, or whatever might be different. There's always a cheap kayak, you know, $500 basketball system, a treadmill, an elliptical, a golf set. Like, you could literally go through each department, and there was always going to be this certain price point. It was just a different brand every year. You know, and people would rush in and buy it. You know, I remember the big deal used to be like 25% off Under Armour hoodies or buy one. I always thought buy one, get one half off sales were dumb because it's really just 25% off. But I think people get fooled by the verbiage. And it seems like anymore we all, I think we shop differently. Like, I don't, we don't, I have to, do we really buy a lot in this? I mean, depending who you are outside of your food and something you have to run out and get. We buy, I buy a lot online. Uh, on Amazon uh, or other websites. I mean, I just bought a bunch of sports stuff. If you don't go to, if you're a sports fan, you like sports apparel, go to fanatics.com. Click the filter for like things. You, you can go like $20 and under, $10 and under. I got so much stuff a while back under the $10 and under tab, like shot glasses, cool t shirt. I got like a Stanley Cup t shirt for the Washington Capitals, which it was just a cool shirt. It was a buck ninety nine. Why would I not buy it? Um, <laughs> You know, I got some cool box stuff. Um, I got shot glasses for, like, a bunch of teams. But, yeah, fanatics.com, they always have really good deals. I always tell people to go there. Um, but, yeah, I think shopping has kind of evolved into something different. Like, the Black Friday deals are, like, all month. Uh, I think Kai, you know, I picked up a vacuum for her today. The other day I picked up uh, some new Food Ninja griller, air fryer, I was joking with her today, it reminded me of Back to the Future 2, where they just like press the button and it makes whatever the food you need is, you know, because it's all futuristic and stuff, but um, 
yeah anyways uh but that's all i got tonight folks this actually ran pretty long i'm kind of impressing myself um sorry i made you guys wait uh, nate hansen was texting me and wondering why there wasn't an episode so maybe he stayed up late enough to, to hear it tonight um anyways uh, i hope everyone ha i guess have a great week since the weekend is over and uh we'll see you next week next week we will do it on friday or saturday i promise all right have a great week everyone